0: This episode is brought to you by Get Mobile ID by GetGroup North America, the smart choice for ID implementations. Put citizens in control with Get Mobile ID, fully ISO compliant one eight zero one three five, and surpasses ANVA guidelines. Learn more at getgroupna.com. Welcome to ANVAcast, bringing news, information, and expertise to the ANVA community. Here's your host, Ian Grossman enjoy the show. Welcome back to the AnvaCast. This week, we are revisiting a topic that we've not talked about in some time, automated and connected vehicles. And to join me for the conversation, I'm pleased to welcome Bernard Soriano, who is the Deputy Director at the California DMV, and Brian Ursino, Director of Law Enforcement Services at Anva. Gentlemen, welcome back to the AnvaCast. Thank Thanks you for having me. us. Yeah. So, uh, as many folks know, uh, Bernard, in addition to your role in California, where you wear many hats, including, you know, being the the one looking after um, automated vehicle type developments, you're also the chair of our AMVA Automated Vehicle Subcommittee. And one of the reasons I wanted to talk to, to, to both of you is we've not talked about this in a while. And in many ways, a lot of people haven't talked about it in a while. It felt like, you know, during pandemic, during COVID, some of these emerging issues were pushed aside momentarily while we dealt with, dealt with the issues at hand, understandably, um, and even I would argue some of the manufacturers industry leaders went a little bit silent for a little while. That is quickly changing and it feels like all of a sudden, boom, it's back and things are happening quickly. So let me start with you, Bernard, if, if you know, is my assessment even correct or do I just have my head in the sand? And then B, kind of where, where are we today as we start to kind of reestablish a new baseline?
1: Yes. So, um, so Ian, you know, you're correct in a in a sense that there was sort of a slowdown once COVID hit. Um, But that was that was very brief. Companies did um, cease operations and cut back on operations. Um, But really, that was from the standpoint of ensuring that their employees are are safe. they quickly have ramped up their efforts uh, with regard to testing automated vehicles on public roadways. And many companies now are looking at the different business models that are available to them. Uh, and by what I mean by that are models such as goods delivery, not just developing uh, vehicles that will be available for sale to people, or vehicles that would be available to be used in a ride-sharing format, um, but vehicles that could be used in a variety of um, of applications, mm-hmm. delivering goods, um, for example, groceries right to your door, but also heavy-duty vehicles and long-term, long-haul uh, goods delivery. So. All of those um, uh, business models are really taking off, and um, and companies are looking to see, you know, what provides them the greatest benefit for this this technology outside of the safety benefit.
0: Mm-hmm. So I think you know when we last looked at this, there was like you said there was some testing going on with ride sharing companies. Um, there were individual companies testing what I'd call a passenger vehicle in driverless mode. Uh, have we seen an expansion of that testing? Is it a different type of testing, or is it more, more of the same?
1: Well, we've certainly seen an expansion. Uh, for example, um, companies uh, in California have uh, approached us to, to get permits to uh, move forward to the next step. And what I mean by that is the next step of testing. Uh, typically, they would be testing their vehicles with a safety driver. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then the next step would be testing without a safety driver. A few companies have approached us on that and have met the requirements and we've provided the, uh, the permits for them to go ahead and do so. And in fact, um, a few other companies have approached us for the next step after that, which is deployment. Uh, so some companies have been able to uh, test to the to the point where they're able to deploy their vehicles on the roadways, and um, and we anticipate seeing more of these companies coming forth with um, w- you know with that strategy. So for those that are listening
0: that are, haven't been as watching this as closely, um, help define for us the difference between testing and deployment.
1: Okay, so. You know, that's a that's a great question, because we struggled. In California, we struggled with um, what is the definition of testing and what is the definition of deployment. Traditionally, when when uh, consumer goods are made, you know, testing would involve a prototype. A prototype is built, and then it's tested. And then when a company feels like it's ready to provide that for sale, then they'd go ahead and, and do that. And that would be deployment. Um, With automotive vehicles, we struggle to see when would a company be in a testing regime versus a deployment regime. Because you can see a company testing, and I'm using air quotes, testing a vehicle, um, but Really blurring the line mm-hmm. and for example, providing rides to the public under the guise of testing because ah, they're testing through rideshare and
0: anybody can go and get
1: exactly. That. and so what we um, what we use as a threshold is um, some sort of monetary compensation. Mm-hmm. So if a company is receiving compensation as they, are operating their vehicles on the public roadways, we would consider that to be a deployment regime as opposed to a testing regime. Now, you know, compensation can come in various forms, so the we'd have to really assess what the company is uh, is doing and how they are doing it, and what would constitute. Um, uh, compensation.
0: So what are you expecting to see when you say that you have companies that are now ready to move to deployment? What is that deployment? What do you expect that deployment to look like? Because I think in some people's head, it means I could go to a dealer and now buy one of these vehicles.
1: Right. And so what we've seen, and I'll give you an example, is we, we have companies that have approached us to say, hey, we'd like to deploy in California. And what we want to do is we want to deploy in a ride hailing service. And so they have already tested their vehicles with a safety driver. They have tested their vehicles without a safety driver, Mm -hmm. and they feel confident enough that the technology works, it's safe, and they are ready to take that next step. So we issued them a uh, deployment permit so they can do so within a geographical boundary, their operational design domain, AND THEY CAN GO AHEAD AND BEGIN OPERATING RIDE HAILING SERVICES um, WITH THOSE VEHICLES. OF COURSE TO DO THAT ALSO INVOLVES ANOTHER GOVERNMENTAL AGENCY, THE PUBLIC UTILITIES COMMISSION. AND SO OUR PURVIEW IS JUST ALLOWING THOSE VEHICLES ON THE ROADWAYS. Mm -hmm. SO THEY'VE CLEARED THAT HURDLE. And, um, AND SO FROM A DEPLOYMENT STANDPOINT, that company is, is, as far as DMV is concerned, that company is uh, is good to go with regard to deploying their vehicles uh, in uh, their business model. Uh, of course, to do that, they need to seek other regulatory approvals.
0: Now, clearly, uh, Brian, we're seeing, you know, that is clearly what's happening in California. You're working across many jurisdictions. Are we seeing those trends happening in uh, other states, provinces of Canada, you know, are they defining it similarly to the way California has separated it out? What are the other trends we're seeing in other geographic locations?
2: Absolutely. Well, in terms of uh, the pandemic and slowing down, I first want to mention that, that uh, you know, Bernard uh, addressed the private sector side really well. I want to talk about the um, ANVA Automated Vehicle Subcommittee first and say that we, we slowed down, but we certainly didn't stop. Uh, we continue to work certainly our in-person meetings um, were cancelled for a couple of years but we continued our monthly virtual meetings we continued work on the ANVA guidance document and the reason why that was so critically important is because um, as anyone would tell you most people know the technology is uh, moving so quickly and rapidly it's very fluid Uh, we needed to make sure that whatever guidance we're giving our jurisdiction members is as up up to date and current as possible so with that in mind if someone goes on the website um, as of this recording, they would find what's called edition two of our document. We're going to be next month being July of 2022, uh, publishing edition three, and then uh, we'll be working on edition four after that. So as far as the, the, the national landscape, which was your next question, um, you know, it depends, the answer is it depends. One of the main points I, I make uh, vividly, because I get asked this question a lot of, well, what does Amva think about um states regulating um this this industry or this space and uh, i'm very keen to point out the is neutral on that Uh, it's it's the jurisdiction's decision on whether to regulate or not the purpose of our document is for the jurisdictions that do choose to regulate we want that regulation to be consistent across state lines and so if a jurisdiction chooses to regulate please look at the AMVA document use it as a blueprint or a framework for for the type of regulation you you um, implement so, that we don't have a patchwork of, of diverse um, uh, regulations across lines that would make, that could actually um, jeopardize safety. So, um, the, this different states are at different levels of regulation. Some states uh, regulate, but not to the same level as California, and there are many other states that don't regulate at all. And again, that's, that's their decision to make. Um, but I, I have seen, even through the pandemic, things, things slow down. But uh, again, today, things are picking up quite rapidly. And I'm hearing a lot of discussions. And there's a lot of uh, legislative chatter around this topic. And uh, legislatures are grappling with um, what level of regulation is the right amount of regulation and should we re- regulate it all.
0: Yeah. And uh, Bernard mentioned earlier as well the idea of the shift from the sexy part of the passenger vehicle to really now a shift more on carrying goods, whether that is small delivery devices or large commercial vehicles. Uh, What have you seen in the space in terms of the the movement in the commercial sector?
2: Yeah, things are really heating up. Um, There are a lot more technology companies uh, that are entering that space and they are testing. Um, Our current document only touches on a couple of specific areas of commercial motor vehicle operation, testing and operation deployment. Um, that we think um, we need to pay attention to. Those are specifically um, a platooning, where tr- uh, a lead truck can control the actions of every following truck in that chain. Uh, and when that happens, when the technology is in charge, the following distance between vehicles um, gets much, much closer. So t- if, if a trooper, for example, sees a platooning operation going down the, the interstate, and is unaware that it's actually the technology that's controlling the vehicles, that's problematic because um, they would, in most cases, be in violation of the following two closely closely law. The other area that we talk about in our document, which is of con- some concern, is remote operation. And mm-hmm. um, that's where the, the truck, um, either with the safety driver on board or totally unoccupied with no safety driver, um, that vehicle uh, could be operated remotely. And so that, that presents a, a whole lot of uh, challenges for law enforcement in particular I like can't go into right now, but it's addressed in our document. But I would close by saying that we're in conversations now with the Commercial Vehicle Safety Alliance, CVSA, um, because we, uh, we want to make sure that we're coordinated in, in um, our addressing the the commercial motor vehicle testing in this automated vehicle space. And so we're gonna coordinate with CVSA. We're gonna explore all of the issues that we think ought to to be um, addressed and we'll pretty much divvy up the pie. You know, what what should AMVA address? What should CVSA address? And we're gonna respond in that way.
0: So I will say by the time folks are listening, Edition 3 will be on the website. So, we're going to, the time you'll come out, if you're listening to my voice right now, I can guarantee you go to amva.org and you can download the latest version, which is Edition 3 of our guidelines document. There are some key changes in that guidelines document that we want to touch on, really call to people's attention, because Otherwise, why do an updated edition, right? We want to talk about the changes. So, on one hand, one of the things that's always fascinating to me about you know the automated vehicle piece is it's one of these new technologies that's challenging our traditional view of the DMV world of the silos of driver licensing, vehicle management, law enforcement, because it really you know more so than many topics we deal with really cro- cuts across and you know from the very simplistic of now the vehicle is the driver uh, to the need. For for law enforcement to engage with a technology that is both the driver and vehicle. Nevertheless, our document still categorizes it in kind of a, things that affect the driver, things that vehicle and law enforcement. So uh, let's tackle it, I guess, in, in that order. When you look at the driver space, uh, some of the key updates in this edition.
1: Yeah, so w- with regard to uh, the driver aspect of the uh, of the document, one of the things that we felt Really needed to be focused on is this need for um, education and the need to have consumers, you know, that have the vehicle be really aware of what the capabilities are of the vehicle, but also just as important what the limitations are of the vehicle. Um, And I'm speaking to um, uh, technologies that are currently out on. The vehicles, something that would be a level two or an advanced level two. Uh, we Give an
0: example for folks who may not know what, that, what wh- that that means. You're talking more, you know, the driver assist type technology. Exactly.
1: And so, uh, for example, you know, lane keep and uh, or lane uh, lane departure warnings. Um, some consumers are are unaware, blissfully unaware of that technology and how that technology could be used. Um, and so uh, that's just one type of technology we feel that there should be a concentrated effort on the manufacturer side and the dealers to um, have very clear um, if not training clear communication to consumers on what the capabilities are of that vehicle so they know what that vehicle can do and what that vehicle can't do um, we see situations where consumers are on the road with their vehicle and they assume that their vehicle can do, can drive by itself. Yeah. And uh, by making that assumption, they're doing things that they shouldn't be doing while they are behind the wheel. And, you know, you, you get some tragic consequences. Uh, so, you know, that that's one aspect. The other aspect with regard to, to driver is the from the standpoint of Um, driver examiner training Um, as more and more of these vehicles become introduced into the marketplace invariably they'd be used as part of the driver license testing and um, uh, you know the, the extreme is that you'll have a vehicle that is fully capable of driving itself and an applicant would be coming in to get his or her license using that vehicle which features should be allowed, which features um, can be allowed and, uh, and really should those vehicles um, be used as part of a testing. So you know, it gets to be very complicated uh, but it's certainly something that needs to be addressed uh, within our document because the technologies span you know all the way down from level two all the way up to level five. So, uh, you know, that's just a glimpse of what we've, um, we've addressed on the driver's side.
0: All right, let's, uh, let's uh, talk about the vehicle piece then. You know, where I think where some of the exciting pieces are.
1: Yeah, on the, on the vehicle side, we talked about um, the, uh, the financial liability on the, uh, for the vehicles and ensuring that vehicles um, carry an adequate amount of uh, insurance. And we addressed that in our previous edition. But we, uh, we modified that, knowing that um, in the commercial space, particularly for public transportation, we we added a, uh, a, a recommendation that if a vehicle is used for public transportation, that maybe that financial responsibility threshold isn't adequate. Uh, maybe it should be at a higher level or something to be determined. Um, uh, we felt that, you know, by ferrying passengers, by having passengers as the main function of that vehicle, that that warranted some higher threshold of, um, of uh, insurance.
0: Are we seeing that as a increasing use case for some of the early testing or early on the idea of uh, self-driving shuttles, whether in a closed campus environment or in a Urban setting where there's easy—it's easy to map out a, a grid, you know—and shuttle people in public transport. Is that taking off in some of the ways maybe we thought it would five six years ago? Yeah,
1: it, it really has because we we're seeing a number of different pilot programs in jurisdictions, or I, I should say, local areas throughout the country. For example, Rhode Island has a um, has a partnership with. a a shuttle manufacturer to provide rides to its citizens in the uh, in the providence area and it would be it's in a a predefined loop and uh, uh, consumers can avail themselves of this service Uh, that model is used through several different cities Uh, so we've seen that we've seen that application another aspect of the vehicle recommendations is the identification of the vehicles and the the tracking of those vehicles in its driver record in whatever system a jurisdiction has we felt it was important that a vehicle be identified and be uh, notated that it has these technologies um, from a historical standpoint, but also from a, from the standpoint of understanding that you know a particular vehicle is capable of doing things that you wouldn't normally. Uh, expect a vehicle to to have. So,
0: and do we go so far as to recommend exactly where and how to do that?
1: We do. We 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 speak to the title document and having a uh, a brand, if you will, on the uh, on the document.
0: Okay. I know early on there was some discussion around um, the VIN playing a role in that. Is that we, put we, we to the side for now?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a good point because you know that as you know that's controlled by NHTSA. And we do need to have a discussion with NHTSA on the possibility of having um, that identification be in the VIN and whatever um, uh, digit would be appropriate and and how that could happen. But uh, there hasn't been movement yet, at least from the standpoint of defining a a new VIN character for uh, automated vehicles. My my take is that that's certainly a discussion that needs to happen sooner rather than later.
2: It does. One of the biggest challenges with that, though, and um, Bernard mentioned it to me earlier, is the um the aftermarket application. So mm-hmm. if you were to alter the VIN based on a technology as it rolls off the assembly line, and then someone goes and buys aftermarket technology and applies it to the car, that now could change its level of automation from a two to a three, for example. And what does that mean to the VIN descriptors? That's one of the biggest challenges in has. but we still think we, we somehow need to get there.
1: Yeah, and um, to piggyback off of what Brian said was, it's not just the aftermarket, it could be the vehicle manufacturer themselves. We're quickly migrating to a model where the software on the vehicle is updated over the air. On my vehicle, for instance, if there is a software upgrade, I would have completely new capabilities, uh, a new interface, um, and really, if the software was um, significant enough, my vehicle could go from one level to another level and the VIN is static.
0: And then, you know, whether the VIN is static at that point, so is the title, right? Because you already have, you, using your example, you already have the title to your vehicle. You have an upgrade. You may or may not even know what has been in that software upgrade. Do you now have to report that back to change your title? Should the manufacturer report it to the agency?
1: Yeah, you're bringing up those discussions, those exact same discussions we were having in our in our meetings. Mm-hmm. Uh, It gets to be very complicated because you're right. It's your personal vehicle, and attached to that vehicle are static components, Mm -hmm. that title, that VIN. um, And with a simple software upgrade, that vehicle is completely different different than what those – Exactly. And how do you account for that? So it's it's going to be a new world, and it's going to be something that administrators need to be able to recognize and certainly deal with.
0: So law enforcement, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll let Brian handle this one, not that he's not well versed in all the areas, we, know, we all know what's uh, near and dear to his heart. And so let's talk about some of the updates in the law enforcement section of the document.
2: Yeah, that's a great question, Ian. I think um, of all the, the subsection of the law enforcement chapter, I think I'm gonna focus on the law enforcement interaction plan because that's so important to um, what we're doing out and what we're seeing out there in real life application. So um, one of the key differences between Edition 2 and Edition 3 is we totally revised the law enforcement interaction plan. We actually came out with a set of criteria that we think makes up a best practice law enforcement interaction plan. And for our listening audience, for anyone who doesn't even know what a law enforcement interaction plan is, that is a document that the manufacturers are actually required to um, to write for the benefit of law enforcement. Um, and uh, in, and that 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 goes back to one of our earlier questions about about regulation is does your does your jurisdiction have a law that requires the law enforcement interaction plan, and um, and we think it should be we think that should be a required element. And then once you get past that hurdle, what should be in it? And we enumerate all the key elements of a best practice law, inter, law enforcement interaction plan, and then finally. Um, Training of the law enforcement interaction plan. So the officers on the street whether it's a municipal police officer county deputy sheriff or state trooper They come across a vehicle like this. They know what's supposed to happen There's another key part here and that's execution of the law enforcement interaction plan And there was a a recent well-known incident in San Francisco where um, a San Francisco PD officer pulled over um, an automated vehicle in San Francisco and the vehicle inexplicably drove off and then stopped yet again well there was a law and interaction plan in law enforcement interaction plan in place to address that very situation but it wasn't executed properly so
0: by the vehicle by the manufacturer by law enforcement
2: it was not in this particular case it was not executed properly by the uh, company that was operating the vehicle and they, they had a way to communicate to the police officers to let them know, to communicate that the vehicle would be moving even though the, that movement was unexpected to the officers. And that communication did not happen, even though it was in the law enforcement interaction plan. So you have to have it, but you also have to execute it properly. So that, that's one of the real highlights of our chapter. There are many other subsections that I'll leave as a teaser for our audience to go find it and, and see what's up in the law enforcement world.
0: But one of the things you said is that the law enforcement interaction plan is something the manufacturer produces for law enforcement does that mean we're entering a world where law enforcement is going to have to be trained on how to interact with the vehicles based on who has made the vehicle and so you know you might have a law enforcement interaction plan for ford vehicles that's different than gm vehicles which is different from a tesla and now law enforcement needs to know the nuances of those different vehicles
2: well, that's partially true. Uh, each different manufacturer should have their own law enforcement interaction plan, but the, the common denominator in, in the, the, um, the, that, that should exist between all of them is just know who to contact and how to contact them, and that should be universal. Regardless of the type of vehicle it is that they encounter, there should be a means for commu- immediate communication 24, seven, 365 days a year, and an ability. And that that will go across all lines. Then all those finer nuances and problems and challenges can be answered once they're in contact with the the appropriate company.
0: And so you gave the one example of that uh, situation in San Francisco. I imagine, you know, as Bernard mentioned earlier, we're seeing testing and deployment, especially in jurisdictions that are maybe less prescriptive regulatory than uh, California is. Uh, Are we hearing other, what are the other challenges we're hearing or the successes we're hearing that, hey, things do work as planned more often than not. We always, you know, there's never a paper, you're never going to see a newspaper headline that says plane landed safely, right? When things expect to go well, we don't hear about it. Uh, but those that are close to the topic like you are, imagine you are hearing where things are going well. What, what can we share with the world?
1: Yeah, you know, what I would say is that that's one of the beauties of what we have in California is that the regulations allow us to have a window into what exactly is happening with regard to testing. And uh, we are aware, one, we're aware of how many companies are currently testing in California. We're aware of how many vehicles are being tested, who the safety drivers are, and where they are, where they are testing. And then we get a uh, overview of the results of that testing. So we can, we can see you know, how many miles they've driven, uh, how many crashes they have uh, uh, had, um, how many disengagements they've had, so we get at least a glimpse of, of what is happening. Um, if a jurisdiction is not, uh, does not have any sort of regulatory framework, they may not have that same visibility. And you're right, the only things that would make the headlines would be the, uh, the unfortunate events, right? But you won't know what are the items that really were successful, you, know, you won't know that five million miles have been tested in the past year by a certain company on your roadways and there were no incidents yeah Right. And
0: that's and that's really key as now we're starting to get to a critical mass of miles traveled, right? And if we say we go back to our original premise and I I've bought into it, which is that, you know, if most fatal crashes are caused by human error and this promise of technology can take the human error out of the equation, and we start to look at fatality rates which are based on miles traveled, and you start to see these other vehicles where are not having the crashes let alone fatalities it starts to prove out that safety promise i don't know that we're quite there yet with the numbers of miles but maybe we're closer than some of us realize
1: yeah and i think what would be telling is NHTSA's latest standing general order uh, that order that requires manufacturers to report all crashes and uh, NHTSA just released the uh, the first set of data from uh, from that exercise and it's something that is rich that is rich and available for data analysts to look at and tease out what are those items that really can point to whether or not automated vehicles are at the point of uh, fulfilling that promise of safety
2: yeah if i could add to that you know level five autonomy offers us the promised land of moving us much closer to zero deaths right The the real challenge is in the interim where, and it goes back to the human element, where you have a human driver who has a level two technology, but they treat it like it's level five. They cognitively disengage from the dynamic driving task, they're not paying attention, and we are seeing real life crashes, some of them fatal occurring, and that's because the human driver is treating level two technology as if it's level five.
1: Yeah, and that's where that education piece right. comes in but, that I spoke to earlier. Yeah,
0: and I, I think the important thing to remember, it's not the it's not the technology failing, right? Sometimes you hear the skeptics that, you know, uh, I don't trust the technology. I don't want to get into one of these vehicles. It's not the technology failing. It's our... Misuse of technology. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Excellent, excellent. So I guess the last question is, you know, what, what can we expect next? I remember um, it was probably, we're now more than a decade from when we first were able to touch and get in to the early prototypes of self-driving vehicles right it's been more than 10 years probably coming up closer to 15 years from those original prototypes and yet we're certainly progress has been made but i, I remember 10 12 years ago people said you'll be able to buy these in five years and they're all going to be on the roads clearly it didn't happen quite that quickly it's still a matter of when not if but well you know Take out your crystal ball. We won't hold you to it. What do you think's going to be kind of what's on the horizon? Here?
1: Well, you know, on the immediate horizon, certainly um, ride hailing services are going to be available. We're seeing that now in San Francisco with... Um, uh, companies that are that have the permit to deploy. And you're
0: talking about ride-sharing apps. Yes. I know so you're, you're referring to them as ride-hailing, but I think more commonly the Yeah. The, the we won't exactly. say their names. We won't give them free advertising, <laughs> but everybody knows who they are.
1: Yes, and okay. another one in, in the Phoenix area doing the same thing yep. where you... You use your your smartphone to hail a yeah. ride, and punch <laughs> in your destination, and off you go. That's right. With no one else in the car, but no you. No safety driver. No just safety the vehicle, driver. vehicle you all. get in and you go.
0: And right. it's happening. And safely. it's happening
1: now. Safely. Safely. And uh, so I can I can certainly see that service expanding, expanding to a much wider area, um, and to the to the benefit of of its citizens, right? Because the more people get used to this the more people are aware that yeah it's safe it's safe for me to get in this to to um, you know get to where i need to go um you'll get better adoption Um, i think also uh, some companies are uh, are still looking at the private sale model Um, and i can see more and more of these technologies being put in place incrementally and then we will be at a point where all of a sudden that product would be considered a level three product and i would say that would be and don't hold me to it i would say (laughs) that would be more of a medium range somewhere in the neighborhood of probably five years or seven years something like that fair enough brian i know you're not much of a crystal baller What he said.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Well, gentlemen, thank you. Always. It's a great conversation. We could probably go for another hour or two talking about this stuff. There's so much there. Reminder, Edition 3 is now available on the AMVA website. Download it, read it, share it. Contact us if you have any questions. Thank you both for being here. Thank you all for listening this week. Thanks to our producers, Claire, Jeffrey, and Chelsea Hadwin. Till next week, everyone, stay well. Thank you for joining us for AMVACast. Hosted by Ian Grossman. Produced by Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin. Music by Gibson Arthur. This episode is brought to you by Get Mobile ID by Get Group North America. Visit us at amvacast.podbean.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google
1: Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify.